Welcome to another episode of Destination Linux Podcast. Welcome to episode 73. I'm Raka, and this week we have Ryan is back. And you'll notice that uh, we are missing the normal two guys at the bottom, Zeb and Michael. But Alan is good enough to take over both spots. <laughs> I'm big enough. Uh, hello. How you doing? What's going on, Alan? Uh, you know, it's nice and warm here in the UK. It's the weekend. What's not to like that sit inside an office and chat to you guys? Do you guys have some Barville or... Um, What's Barville? Barville? You mean Bovril? Yeah. Bovril. Uh, you have some Bovril on tap? No. <laughs> Marmite. Yes. Not a big Bovril lover. More Marmite. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, I know that you would love nothing more than to sit and talk with us all day, but Ryan, we got an email the other day from Sean. An and amazing email. Yeah. yeah. Now, this email comes from basically, it comes from an episode that we talked about putting Linux on anything. And mm-hmm. we did, we were joking and somebody said, I don't know if it was you or somebody said, uh, you could even put Linux on a, on a Commodore 64. Yeah. And this guy actually did it. <laughs> you gotta love the Linux community because if you present them a challenge, <laughs> they will rise to meet it. Like, and so, yeah, so he, he put this on the, uh, the, the C, the Commodore 64 and he says he stayed up all night doing it just to prove us wrong, <laughs> which I absolutely love that devotion uh, that it could be done. And then sent us a beautiful picture of it, Rocco. Yeah. So in this, he says that he's been using Linux uh, for a little while now, and he just wanted to try it to see if it could actually be done. Right. So someone was joking about it, and he says, Though after achieving this as a result of uh, severe sleep deprivation from not only the install, but the transfer from ISO to floppies as well. But I was too tired to neatly stack the 100,000 plus five and a half inch floppy disks I used for the install so that I could provide the photographic evidence as well. It's genius. (laughs) He sent us a picture of this and uh, I'm going to show it here and you know, looks totally genuine. It does. There's, totally there's genuine. nothing suspect. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so we're just going to run with it, Alan, that it's genuine. And this happened. This actually okay. happened. Okay. Yeah. So can we, can we level up this? And uh, so the Commodore 64 was like super popular in the US, I understand, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't have a Commodore 64. I had one of these, a Sinclair Spectrum. So nice. I, my my challenge is okay now get it working on a single spectrum, <laughs> <laughs> which had less RAM. So you know that'll be even harder. So you've been challenged, Sean. Yeah, but he had he also gave some brilliant uh, feedback in here as well, which was super nice and very welcome. And uh, not only for Destination Linux, but all of our individual channels as well, uh, helping him with uh, navigate the Linux world. So. Super big shout out to Sean. Thank you for taking the time to send us the email. And the and chuckle. For, yeah, and the chuckle and the 100,000 discs. And hopefully you're well asleep right now. So there you go. Getting some rest. So 
going on to distro news. Um, mm-hmm. We got quite a bit of distro news, but the first one up is OpenSUSE <laughs> 15. We're not talking about it. Well, we have to talk about it. It's in the I list. don't have any memory. I'm in it right now. It's, I have no memory. It's in the list, dude. We have to talk about it. Okay, okay. we'll talk about it. All right. <clears throat> so OpenSUSE 15 has released, and they changed the versioning number to from yeah. 42 to 15. Because Oh, I wondered why why it was 15. I'm, I, I'm, <laughs> this has been confusing me for a while, because I, I know I installed OpenSUSE 42 point something, and... You're fact, wondering how they fact, went back in time. <laughs> I even have a boxed copy of OpenSUSE. <laughs> oh, look at this! <laughs> a boxed no. copy. Yeah, this is uh, OpenSUSE Leap forty-two point one. I got this direct from uh, Richard Brown when I went to uh, visit him in uh, Nuremberg. In, that is um, pretty cool. He gave it to me, so it's been pride of place on my shelf, just here next to my co- boxed copy of Windows Seven. Do you remember the joy of going into a software store and grabbing that massive box for software and it had the discs inside and you'd get a manual and it was just this whole experience. Now it's just click and download and you don't get that same. It's like CD music, you know, where you used to open up the audio CDs and you'd have the album art from the the, and now it's all gone. Yeah, but the kids these days know the joy. It's not all completely gone. I, I backed a Kickstarter for a remake of a Spectrum game. And in the post the other day, I got a little cassette box like this. Oh. So <laughs> that's actually got the game on it. It's a one of these funky USB key cassettes, but it has an inlay and uh, some cool stuff on the inside. So some people are still doing this, but yeah, yeah not enough. Not Everything enough. comes back around full circle. Eventually yeah, totally. we'll be back to some type of box software, but especially there was if you're a lot a, of joy in that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're like a 40 something with a bit of disposable income, you can, uh, you can buy these <laughs> things if you really need to relive your childhood. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. But I think we remember it, uh, a little bit more fondly than it actually was. Like we we only remember the good parts about it, and uh, we kind of glaze over some of the bad parts about it. So, like, I need software, so let me drive an hour and a half yeah. to the software <laughs> store to go grab it, and an hour and a half back to go. And now wow. I can just click install. Yeah, maybe. I, I used to get my software when I very first got a PC. I got my software via mail order and i had a little catalog and i would go through ticking off the floppy disks on the order form that i wanted and then i had to post it off with a check that my mum wrote out for me and then i'd get a jiffy bag full of floppy disks like a couple of weeks later that's incredible no going to the store for me i was like having to get it through the post it's so funny because we talked to so many developers that have talked about their first journeys in linux being getting those cds or discs in a magazine and that was the first time they installed Linux was getting the magazine. So yeah, yeah that was yeah. a big deal. Yep. So how, how's your um, OpenSUSE experience going there? <clears throat> you know, I, I want to like it so much. So th- this has to go into a story here a little bit of I've, I'm upgrading my machine. I wanted to, there were a couple of distros I've really not been able to try while I've been on NVIDIA. And not that you can't use them, but it's like Fedora, for instance, and the Wayland-based distros. Um, with NVIDIA are a pain. You know, you have to do all kinds of special mode sets and things to get them to boot in initially with oh, your wow, NVIDIA really? card and all of these different things. So OpenSUSE, I switched to a Vega 56. I didn't switch to it. I got a Vega 56 and put it in my computer to kind of compare the 1080. And of course, I went with the Ryzen 7 2700X and of course all these did. upgrades. Yeah, because I got to have the beast, beastly. You know, it has to be the most powerful thing I can afford. 
So I played with a couple different distros and messed up my system horribly this week, uh, several different times. Pop OS and its system MD boot first, uh, messing up everything um, because there's no grub there. So that was kind of my first mistake. And then the second one would be with OpenSUSE and apparently in its natural install, which I went through just allowing it to do its recommendations on my drive, it gave me a home folder that is just a gigabyte out of a 500 gigabyte volume. Where did the rest go? I don't know. It's (laughs) sitting in an LVM that it made two partitions. One was a boot partition, 500 megabytes. The rest is just an LVM system partition. So I assume it's somewhere within that system partition but it only gave it a gig. So I'm literally sitting here on stream having run out of space that I'll have to, you know, go in the G parted or whatever and, and move the space around and make my own home folder and all of that, which you would expect the installer to do. I, th- I think when you say G parted, you mean YAST, right? Well, you mean yes. open YAST and That's then what he means. fiddle about with the partitions. You pr- I mean, given YAST is the thing that does everything on, on SUSE. Oh, really? I would okay. imagine. I actually installed something- G parted. I didn't know. Yeah, I don't, I've never right. used open SUSE before. So, no, I've not used it a lot. But whenever, um, whenever I have, I'm told by the open SUSE experts that I hang out with that <laughs> YAST is the thing you use. Like, forget all the other tools, just use YAST. It's a comprehensive tool that does everything you need. And gotcha. all the other distributions are envious of their prowess of having Yast. Well, I, I've never actually used it. <laughs> I just get told this. I, I guess I will try then uh, and yeah. try Yast. You, you might be able to, like, it might be, if it's LVM, you may be able to expand your home partition. Well, that's like, what I figure. Um, uh, yeah. You might even be able to do it online without having to. Like, that, would be, that would that be would be brilliant. Great. So, I mean, right now I'm hoping I don't run out of memory during the show, but so I, I really like the look of it. I like, I actually am getting used to Yast as a software repository. It's not easy, by any, but um, it reminds me a little bit of Arch in that way. Uh, some of the kind of uh, Pac-Man style repository, you're adding online communities and different things to get different software. So I wouldn't recommend it for new people. I wouldn't even recommend it for myself. Um, but um, if you're experienced and you want to play, it, it does offer some interesting, it's an interesting take on, you know, a distro. So that's all I could really say about it. But I don't like the installer, at least with the options that I chose doing what it did with the home folder. That was a little odd. I have to say, I've, I've got a couple of OpenSUSE installs in VMs and I gave them both 40 gig and they both keep running out of space. Um, but that's because by default, the install would do snapshots every time I did an update of packages. And because I only boot these things to test software and then I shut them down again, I wake them up a month later and they've run out of disk space because of all the snapshots it does when it does an update of all the packages that have come in in the last like month since I last booted the thing. So in the most recent install, I decided not to use the defaults for partitioning. So it does seem like they've, they've got some fine tuning to do there in the in the partitioning scheme. So that's right really now. interesting. Will I run into that as an issue? Does it save those snapshots? If it's using ButterFS, definitely. Uh, which it was for, by default for me. Yep. Then, I changed it to X4. So. Uh, okay, so then yep. no. It's it's only the ButterFS snapshotting that, that I had a problem with. Um, but well, it, I had heard you say that, Alan, and I changed my install from to, an, to disable the snapshots because I right. wasn't going through all that, but I didn't <laughs> right. fare much I, I just, better. I just chose all the defaults. I, 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 I didn't expect that. But once I spoke to someone and they said, yeah, yeah, just turn that off. Don't do that. Oh, okay. 
So now I've got an install that actually works. Nice. So, I mean, some of the features in this this one that they are uh, touting is GNOME 3.26, KDE Plasma 5.12 is available. They are defaulting to Wayland. So there goes 70% of their user base who are on NVIDIA. And... <laughs> well, they can use Nouveau, surely. Yeah, but driver. who uses that crappy driver? It's hmm. so funny. I, I went and used the Nouveau um, and did some frame rate testing. <laughs> Literally, a GTX 1080, which gets three to 400 frames per second was getting 30. Like mm. that is how bad and behind that driver is. You can't game on it. Yeah. But the Nuvo is a good driver. If you're just going to just do regular stuff. That's top. Yeah. Then why would you have a separate GPU to begin with? Well, either way, <laughs> uh, if, whether it's to render videos or, or whatever, whatever may you may reason you may have for having it. Uh, the Nuvo driver is actually decent. If you're not going to do any gaming. It's not for me because I do gaming. anything graphically intensive. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. And then there's the updated GNU Health. So are their health departments and facilities that they support. And they're on Linux kernel 4.12. And look, it says YAST improvements for partitioning. Well, I will put that to the <laughs> test, won't I? Right after this episode. There you go. So we've also got Linux Lite 4.0 that released Rocco. Now, this is the distro my son uses. He is five. He loves playing Minecraft on Linux Lite on his computer, and he runs it on one of these old kind of refurbished Dells that I, uh, you know, got off eBay used. So it can run on very, very, very light requirements, but they've upped their requirements a little bit, according to this. Yeah, that was that's what struck me funny was it says they slightly raised the levels and I was concerned of, well, what do you mean by realistic levels? So... Yeah. They, but I mean, geez, the minimum specifications are still a one gigahertz processor, 768 megabytes of RAM, eight gigabytes of storage. I mean, if you don't have that, you don't have, you don't have a right computer. Now. Yeah. I mean, the Raspberry Pi practically has those specs. Pretty much. Pretty sure actually, it so does. What desktop does it use? XFCE? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And it's relatively light and nimble on fairly old hardware. Yeah. Although, like, uh, what was it? Puppy Linux to me was far, far lighter. Um, and I may move my son's computer to that because this computer probably met, meets just the minimum recommended specifications here, funny enough. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of lag. I, I won't say a lot of lag. I mean, it's a small, it's a very old computer, but with Linux Lite, there's some lagginess and things within move opening stuff and moving things around whereas puppy linux i've tried i can actually run it off just a straight usb drive and it's pretty snappy so uh, i may i may try that one out but I, yeah i've enjoyed linux Lite a little bit nice yep they got they they actually did a lot of stuff uh for this release and there's been some high praise on uh whether it be youtube videos or articles and mm -hmm. uh they have added in some of their newest features are the fact that they the pulse audio plugin which we talked to sean davis before about that Love it. which yeah. is awesome uh full disk encryption now replaces the home encryption in the installer yeah. um they dropped their 32-bit iso releases which is i guess the way to go now Never that's did. the thing that's the happening thing yep. do they did they get do you know if they've had much flack for that because uh, i know some distros People have come out of the woodwork and told us they've got really ancient machines and how dare you disable 32-bit <laughs> builds because I've got this old computer that I, you know, is covered in dust and I use it all the time. 
Well, I don't know exactly how much flack they've received, but I would think them being, you know, Linux light for older machines, Mm. um, I would think if if anybody was going to get the flack, they were going to get it. But I haven't talked to them to say how much they've gotten. So. So, yeah, they've got compositing now being enabled out of the box. It looks like they're adding some things that are in the reason why they're increasing their specs. Some their minimum requirements here is maybe they're not going to be 100 percent just focused on being the lightest distro, per se, as much as adding some functionality in there. Um, they, they've got a lot of things they're doing in here to kind of improve the overall look and feel of the OS. Yeah. With their branded applications that they have, uh, they've done like, like they have a little, uh, basically a little software center, uh, that you can, it's almost like the software boutique where it's just a one click and go down the list of install multiple applications at one time. And then you just click install and it runs through them. So they got, they got quite a few interesting apps of their own that they put into it so yeah are these are these forks of existing apps or are they their own whole cloth i don't new things i don't remember seeing it's like uh, just specifically talking about the applications i don't remember seeing that anywhere unless maybe it was mx linux i'm not sure i don't think so um Mm -hmm. i think they are stuff that they actually made and put into it yep wow so Canonical has some news out there, Popey, and it would be completely irresponsible for us to not let you cover that. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, so 1804 came out at the end of uh, April and uh, some people have spotted that there's now a release date for the point release. So it, all of the LTS releases have point releases. So the next one for 1804 will be 1804.1. And um, if you're already running 1804 and you just keep on doing your updates, you'll get 1804.1 effectively um, on on this particular date in July. While you're updating, a thing will change on your hard drive and it will be from 1804 to 1804.1. Or if you want to do a clean install, you could go and get the ISO image for 1804.1 and install that. And that will have newer packages. So... If you effectively, if you install 1804 and upgrade, or if you install 1804.1, you're effectively at the same point in time. Um, and at that point, that's when we flip the switch for people who are on the old LTS release, so 1604 or 1604 point whatever. Yeah. Um, it's the switch that gives you the pop up that says, Hey, there's a new LTS release. So anyone who's on 1604 right now won't have seen that pop up but they will see it come the end of July when 1804.1 comes out. Um, so we see people upgrade manually. You can forcibly upgrade from 1604 to 1804 and from other old releases to 1804. But um, at this point in July, that's when it will um, it will be turned on. So people, we should get another rush of people going from the previous LTS to this one. So I started hearing these rumors about the point releases that a lot of people went 18... 18- .04 dropped, said, no, do not upgrade yet. Always wait for the first point release. Have you heard this? Some people I'm do that. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, some people say, I, I'm not going to upgrade because, um, you know, things go wrong and, you know, it might be that there's some show-stopping bug and I don't want to be the guy who finds it. Right. <laughs> right. And, and that's reasonable. You know, that, right. that's perfectly fine. And that's the whole reason why we don't enable the switch <laughs> until the point release is so that people can hold back and then when they get the pop-up, they can have some expectation that given um, 
three months have passed since 1804 went out, the major showstopper bugs uh, would be would be done. So uh, this is really funny because I was talking to Rocco about this point thing because we I don't remember who we were talking to, but they're like, no, you got to wait to a point release before you upgrade, and then and then you know it's super stable, or whatever. Right. And so I was telling Rocco, I was like, hey, you know, next time when the next you know release comes, the next LTS release, are you going to wait for the point release? He's like, come on, dude, are you kidding me? <laughs> no way. <laughs> like, we're way too impatient for that crap. Like, the second it's available, we're downloading it and installing it. Got to yeah, check out the new it. features, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. man. Got to be so on the, the cutting edge. So the point releases generally don't don't add. So once once if you do want to wait, uh, the point releases won't add many new features over the top of the main release. Sometimes we do introduce new things at the point release, and I think. Uh, there's a couple of things that the desktop team want to add in. Um, I think they want to add in the new community theme uh, for 18.04. That would be nice. And I think they're also looking uh, to maybe add some other features, but I think they're, they're a little bit wary of adding new features in 18.04.1 because effectively if you've installed 18.04 and then you suddenly get new features in 18.04.1, it can be a little bit alarming. We try and keep the LTSs as stable as possible and not not changing over their lifetime but maybe maybe gotcha and you also for those who are heart attacks <laughs> yeah give people i like how you lit up rocco about a theme <laughs> Rocco was like yes well okay uh, but it it is very needed yes it's sorely yeah. needed so. yeah the look of the look of ubuntu like i remember when uh mark shuttleworth first announced that the new theme was coming when we switched from like the human theme, the brown like skin tones to orange and aubergine um, some years ago. And we haven't really had a refresh since then. So it's the community theme is, a, is great because it's a proper collaboration between the desktop team developers and people in the community who wanted to drive that. Nice. Um, so I think it's very welcome when that lands, whatever that is. So Rocco, for people who are super patient, I don't even know how these people got the patience they have. There will be a final planned point release for 16.04.5 if you haven't jumped yet. So that's coming in the August time frame. You would be amazed how many people are still on 16.04. And in fact, people are still on 14.04 and 12.04. Yeah. crazy. Amazing. I imagine there's going to be people that stay on 16.04 for a while mm -hmm. and not yep. upgrade to 18.04. So yeah. Yeah, we, we still get bug reports filed against, you know, really, really old releases. So we know there are people out there who, um, who are running these old releases and the significant numbers and to the point where we had corporate environments asking us if we could extend support for 1204. They wanted to pay us for additional oh support, gosh. extended support, much like, you know, XP, Windows XP got yeah, extended. Crazy. Um, we had people come to us and say they wanted to pay us to, to continue the support life cycle of 1204. I guess that so, makes sense. I mean, if you've built a whole architecture as a company on top of something and don't have the resources or the money at that moment to sit there and rebuild everything, then yeah, I could see them yeah, yeah. it totally. being cheaper for them just to pay for additional support. Well, it's not just the uh, 1804.1s coming out. 1810 has a release date. Man, things keep on moving, don't they? Mm, yeah, you can't you can't sit there on your twelve oh four machine. You got to move forward. <laughs> so, for those of you who want to try out eighteen ten and can't wait for the you know, the new features, uh, you can download the daily ISO image, which will give the 
regular disclaimer this is like not for main machines and not for production machines this is just, i'll show them i'll run it right this is not <laughs> you are killing me with that <laughs> extreme distro hopping so um alan what uh what is going on with 1810 and like what are we going to see in 1810 so uh the release that comes after the lts is always the one where um the Ubuntu developers go a little bit wild uh, because they've had to hold back for the LTS. Often um, the latest version of GNOME isn't there or the, the very latest kernel isn't there in the LTS because we hold it back to make sure we get the most stable experience for the users. Um, yes. And so then the floodgates open once the release after the LTS is available and we start pushing like new, interesting and innovative things uh, into the next release. So, I may have, uh, I, I think I mentioned earlier about the um, the community theme. That will definitely be in 1810, whether it's it gets put in 1804.1 or not, probably probably not, but it almost definitely will go in uh, 1810. Um, the latest version of GNOME, so whatever's coming in GNOME, so things like Thunderbolt 3 settings in the control center, better multi-monitor support in GDM. That's something I personally am looking yes. forward to. Because I have three screens here and using GDM, if one of the screens is off, I can't move the mouse onto another screen and get the login part to appear on another screen. With LightDM, wherever you put the mouse, that's where the login yes, dialogue appears. Yep. Yeah. And I miss that. I really miss that from, from LightDM. So uh, I think they're also looking at adding fingerprint unlock as well as like integrated into uh gnome shell that would be, be awesome nice. so we've been yeah. using that with the yubikey rocco you yep. and me both have been playing yep. with fingerprint unlocking using yubikey so that would be interesting nice. i've, I've yep. bought laptops for years that have got fingerprint readers and i've never enabled them it's just i've looked at online guides how to do it and it just seemed like a faff but if they're going to integrate it into the desktop and i can just you know press a button in order to register my finger and then press a button to enable it or disable it if i want then That'd be great. Yeah, that absolutely. would be so cool. Uh, and now it doesn't go into details about what the what kind of fingerprint unlocking they're talking about. If it's going to be like a a laptop Only thing, or something. yeah. But mm -hmm. the YubiKey would be awesome to be able to log into. So we got this YubiKey. Rocco found this incredible deal. Is like, hey, do you want twelve months of Wired magazine and a YubiKey <laughs> for five bucks? We're like, uh, yeah. So he sent it to me, and we both got it. And the YubiKey is really neat because it it just plugs into a USB. I have mine on a USB extender. So I can move it across my desk and it works with Dropbox or Google and all these. And you just, it works as your two part, two factor authentication uh, by default within those apps. So instead of having to like go on your phone and find the code for the two factor authentication, you just put your finger on the uh, key and it unlocks nice. those apps. So and really are there tools to set that up or is it, is it command line shenanigans that you have to type to, no, there are actually tools to set it up within Linux, and uh, they have their own tools written across multiple platforms. Uh, their tools, when it comes preset up out of the box as a 2FA, you know, two-factor authentication, but you can change it to other form factors and encryption technologies and all of that within the software to kind of customize it. So, yeah, yeah and I think normally they're like thirty-five bucks or something. Yeah, Rocco, it was so. like forty dollars normal. Yeah, uh, but all I did with it was, you know, went in and put it on my uh, account and in whatever website was Google, and it just logs in. So just added yeah. it as a 
I think this is a much faster way to get in your machine. I think I have one here, but I've never I've never set it up because the last time I Googled it was all like some wacky command line options. No, all I did uh, was uh enabled it in uh the the Google settings actually. And it just recognizes it. Now I used to have it on my phone, but and I'd have my phone in my pocket. I'd log in and I'd have to pull the phone out and hit yes. You know what I mean? Here it's just always plugged into the computer and so much easier. Yep. Nice. So that's a cool feature. We'd love to see that. And then they've got the improved video player performance there. So I wonder what they're doing there. Mm, I don't know if that's, I think that's the GNOME video player. So a lot of work has gone into various um, video players over the years to get uh, like GPU accelerated video playback. Yeah, things like VLC will do that. I think that's for the GNOME built-in video player to be able to do that kind of thing as well. That's cool. Media codecs are a big deal. I learned this in OpenSUSE when you don't have them and you try to play a video and nothing plays and it gives you a random error that you have no idea what it means until you wow. start thinking back and go, oh yeah, it probably doesn't have media codecs because the last time I had to install media codecs in a distro was like two years ago. So I went and did that and uh, it worked, but then there were like deprecated packages with the media codecs. So that was a very confusing experience, but you don't realize how important having that stuff out of the boxes until you. Yeah. I'd completely forgotten about that because I, I just yeah. pressed the little button yes. in the installer that says, go and get me all the non-free nastiness yes. that I need to, to make my day better. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it wouldn't play any video uh, videos without, which was just very, very interesting. I, like I said, I haven't run into that in a while, but I mean, it makes sense for OpenSUSE because they're they're focused on that free and open source stuff. So I get it, but it's odd not having it, you know, sure. at, at the default. Um, so GNOME got a very, very nice donation. In fact, if we could get the name of the donator, we want to definitely get them to sponsor Destination Linux next. <laughs> um, they, uh, they gave a very, very kind anonymous donation, Rocco. How much was it? It was one million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do the pinky man. One million. One that was million my best Doctor Evil voice. Sorry. Yeah, you did good, man. You did good. So they're gonna do this over the next two years. This anonymous donor, but I don't. Now Gnome says that they're gonna plan to use the money to, you know, like increase staff and streamline operations and grow support. I, you know, you can't think that this is gonna do anything but help them. Uh, sure. in their development and growing. So I think it's pretty awesome. If invested wisely, yeah, uh, certainly could. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I read that this is actually um, matched funds. So the Gnome Foundation have to raise, in order to get the funds, they have to raise some funds themselves. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's not just, it's not just, here's a big suitcase full of cash. It's, you know, you, you go out and do your absolute best to, to um, raise some funds and we'll match you up to a million over the next two years. That's the way I read it from one of the, the tweets I saw from members of the known board. Yeah, cool. Uh, look, a million dollar infusion, that would give you some motivation to go out there and raise to get that match. That's pretty high. Yeah, totally. And it also, I mean, makes you wonder where Gnome would be. Like if, if they get that funding over, over two years, what would that mean for Gnome over those two years would it mean they would hire additional designers so that mm -hmm. the visual refresh in some of the applications would it mean they get qa people would it mean infrastructure so the builds are turned around faster or you know there's all of there's the above of stuff they could do yeah I, and i well 
it's not an infinite amount of money. It's a nice chunky amount right, of money, right. but you, you, you can't, you know, you can't expect all of those things to get everything straight away. Especially oh, we can expect it. Well, of course, <laughs> we can. the internet will expect everything. Of course. I feel like the most exciting thing happening in GNOME right now, besides them getting that money, because that's pretty exciting, is mm. Pop! OS. I, I don't know if you guys have you've played with it, Popey, but I new, have it on a VM. Yeah. The I've new 18 Pop! OS. It's just the moment you boot into that with their artists and artwork and community. I make fun of Rocco about the theming all the time. Like, it doesn't matter. But there is something about what they've done over there at System76 with the theming that when you boot into it, you feel like you've come into the future. Like it just with the beautiful robotic uh, artwork, wallpapers in the background, the icon set they chose, all of that stuff is to me. And I'm not, you know, I'm not somebody who prefers GNOME as my DE necessarily. But for me, when I boot into that, I feel like, wow, I could use this full time. In fact, it is quite pretty. It is quite pretty. I'll give it that. It's um, They've made some interesting choices with the font, the default fonts that they yes. use, and the colors of things like the title bars and the window contents and stuff. It's uh, it's certainly had a lot of thought. Yeah. Yeah. They did a great job. What do you think, Rocco? Aren't you using Papa West? I'll just say that I'm running it right now. So that's all you yeah, really said. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably. I mean, you're the biggest GNOME fan out there. So your your take on it actually would be interesting. Well, I love GNOME, uh, but I think that Papa West is the best implementation of GNOME right now. All, wow. Out of all of the uh, ones that I have tried. So, I mean, any you, know, you can talk about the theme and people will glaze over that and they'll say, oh, you know, that's just, you, know, you can change all that. But right. to get it out of the box is awesome. And then including uh, Pop Shop, uh, the... Basically, the elementary uh, honk if you like pop shop. <laughs> <See>? <laughs> Thank you, neighbors. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so any everything from pop shop and their choices, like they use, um, I believe it's Eddie for their dev files rather than uh, um, GDB. So it, they make a lot of different choices. They have probably six or seven. I think extensions installed by default. Mm -hmm. Now I did install one or two other ones, but yeah, I, I do. Love now the it. worst thing they do though, in my opinion is use system MD for the boot, because if you're dual booting and you're not familiar with system MD like this guy and you lose every other boot option you have and try to figure out a text-based uh, boot GUI. Uh, I mean, it's not a GUI, a boot interface that you've never touched before. Yeah. I, I kind of miss grub. <laughs> there's no grub installed no nah, there's no grub so if it, if you have uh grub installed but from another system it will just completely obliterate that and there will be nothing <laughs> so it works out for me on the main drive because right now um i have if i boot off of the one drive i don't get a grub screen i just go right to uh pop os and if I boot off of another drive, like say um, that operating system that won't be named, um, it goes right to that operating system. So right. it, to me, unless I'm booting into specific distributions, it doesn't affect anything. Right. Yeah. But their, their target is like initially on like, is people running system 76 hardware, probably like system 76 laptops. And those people are probably running one OS. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's, 
it's us weirdos who dual boot <laughs> and have like odd other interesting things on their system. But that's what I was wondering. Is there such a thing as this mythical Linux user that only uses one desktop environment or one uh, distribution and nothing? Yes. <laughs> Millions of them. Like it's, that's the large majority of Linux users. I don't believe people it. Who, who buy a Dell XPS laptop and, and it comes pre-installed with Ubuntu and they just use it. Uh, they don't, they don't, change desktop environments they don't reinstall it they just use it as a tool like you would buy a mac and use it as a tool that's like a loch ness monster to me because i hear that it exists but i've never seen a linux user but no that's not true because we talked to chris lamb last week and he he doesn't even like reinstall he just he uses debian and he installs it and he hasn't he hasn't reinstalled or hopped for years well, he's the project lead. I mean, you got to take those people out of the equation because they're kind of forced into single integration. They're like an anomaly. I'm talking like regular users who Normal. are part of the developing, you know, community for a specific distro. The vast majority of people don't install an OS. The vast majority of people just buy the thing. And that's the same for all OSs. Like the vast right. majority of people don't install Lineage on their Android phone. They use whatever's on it. And if that happens to be uh, Android 2.3 and they carry on using that for years and years and years. What losers? Oh, sorry. Normal people. Like, <laughs> you know, mum and dad. Yeah. Yeah. Like you know, computer normal. that just works. Yeah, I mean, that's like, ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Strange weirdos. Yeah, exactly. I like, I like distro hopping and extreme distro hopping and all of that stuff. Well, speaking of GNOME, um, what do you guys think about GNOME moving to GitLab? Um, I think it's, uh, well, I think it's a good thing that GNOME are moving some of their uh, tools to GitLab because some of their tools were really hard to use. Like if you wanted to file a bug against uh, a GNOME project, like if I'm if I'm using uh, Ubuntu mm-hmm. and we're using GNOME and I file a bug in Launchpad um, and the developers go, ah, right, well, that bug is not us. That's not one of ours. That's an upstream bug in GNOME my heart sinks because I think, oh God, I've got to use that awful bug tracker. <laughs> um, and, and so I, I can't, and the same, actually, I feel the same way about Debian. Their bug tracker is atrocious. It's appalling. It's really hard to use. It's designed for like real proper nerds. Normal people can't file bugs in Debian, right? And, and so moving from that to GitLab, which has a lovely user interface mm. for looking at source code for filing issues, for managing your issues and all that kind of stuff. It's very like GitHub, but it's obviously free software. So right. I think it was a fantastic move to move to GitLab because it's so, where it's where someone has actually uh, designed the bug tracker to be used by normal people. Right. So, I mean, I feel like this is the story of my Linux career. I finally learned GitHub. And everybody moves to GitLab. <laughs> so by the time I move over to GitLab, everyone's going to move over to get something else. And then, you know, that's just how it will work. So hopefully you're saying it's pretty familiar interface, though. Oh, it's very similar to, to GitHub. There's, there's some cues, you you know, that they've clearly taken inspiration from from GitHub and probably other bug trackers as well. But um, and and code hosting services and CI systems, they've um, but they seem to have taken some of the best bits of all of them and put them into GitLab. It's great. GitLab's really awesome software. Nice. So Budgie, Rocco. Budgie is trying to, well, Budgie is going to be a Solus project again. Again. 
Yeah. It was a solace project and it always, it always was. I shouldn't say it like that. It always was a solace project, uh, but they had opened it up so that uh, it could be used. And I guess they decided to bring it back into the solace project. And there are different opinions on what's going to happen. Like some people say nothing's going to happen to say, for example, Ubuntu Budgie. Uh, but, what happened was Ubuntu Budgie was using uh, applets, which are actually really nice applets, but some yeah. of them were written in Python, or I should say most of them were written in Python. Yeah, Python, yep. And that's not uh, something that uh, Ike and the Solus team want to integrate into you know, the full version of Budgie, the upstream. And so they decided to just bring it back under the Solus project name so it can... What does that effectively do? I, I, so... You know, I'm learning Python, which this goes to prove with I learned GitHub and then everyone goes to GitLab. I learned Python. Now people don't want Python here. Well, at least Ike doesn't want it in the Solus project. But as I understand it, I mean, Python is a very, very popular language that allows you to create a lot of developers are moving to Python or coding in, not moving to, but adding in Python as a part of their their coding um, portfolio and Ike doesn't want it in his project. And I guess that's it's his project and do what he wants, but you've got this other project that has these folks working, but it, that doesn't, I guess, work upstream. So the stuff that they're creating, isn't helping the project overall, right. I guess in, in his mind. Um, so because of that, he can't utilize it. And, but what does actually pulling it back into the Solus project do? I mean, that doesn't stop the Ubuntu budgie or anybody else from just writing stuff anyways, right? Well, it kind of does. If if the if the upstream maintainer of the software won't accept your patches, and you know, he's made it very clear he won't accept certain patches, um, this is one type. There may be other uh, contributions that they don't want either, right? right? But he has said, you know, if if you want to discuss pull requests, then you have to mark it as an RFC, a request for comment. So this gives him the ability to, as he owns it, say, no, I'm not going to take that that contribution for whatever reason, maybe almost likely in, this is to do with performance, right? He wants a nice snappy desktop. He doesn't want to have to load up a Python interpreter to open all these, these applets and additional pieces of, you know, additional pieces of functionality that are contributed by other people. Um, Ike is a particularly opinionated guy and knows exactly what he wants from his desktop. And I don't think, I think from this, you can read that he doesn't want some of those contributions. Um, mm -hmm. That might make it hard for other people to uh, distribute Budgie um, because they will probably have to carry patches themselves if they want to re-enable those things right. that will effectively be disabled upstream. Um, so like, in the same way that we've been carrying patches for lots of components in Ubuntu that GNOME don't want upstream. Um, for years, that's been the case. Um, it's, and they're just going to either have to suck it up and maintain those those patches or convince Ike that he should accept them or drop it and say, okay, we'll follow upstream and we will just have Vala and C-based um, plugins, applets. So, hmm. so it does put pressure on them to make a decision one way or another. Right. 
So we had um, Dustin from Ubuntu Budgie on last week, and you know it was interesting seeing all the stuff. And we played with that project. It was an, it was a neat project. But I think he even mentioned himself at one point, you know, that team wanting to do more upstream style work. So it'll be interesting to see how those two groups come together and work this work this out. Mm. So on top of that, we've got some new stuff here with the Linux kernel 4.18. Which is so exciting to talk about the kernel. Well, listen, this is exciting. This is super exciting, Rocco. (laughs) Super exciting. Okay. Super exciting. Tell me me what's... (laughs) Wait, Alan just fell asleep. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Started talking about kernel changes. Go on. This is why this is exciting. So if you've seen the multi-touch devices that Microsoft has released for, say, their Surface, or there's another one out there from Dell called the Totem. And what this is, is for you know, artists or engineers and other things, you have a touch-based, let's say, screen or laptop, you can put this dial onto your screen and it provides additional menus while, let's say, you're drawing or doing CAD or any of those style of things, choosing different colors. You can make it as actually just an interface sitting on your desk to do volume controls or different shortcuts, etc. It's actually really cool stuff and for linux folks we could buy one of these but couldn't really use it because there's no um there's no support for it within the kernel but 4.18 gets you that multi-touch device support so now you could go out and buy a surface dial or a dell totem or anybody else who releases these style of devices and start using them and this to me is really cool because i love new gadgets and these gadgets are only like 80 bucks man the thing I love about this is it brings that that analog that you used to have. Like I'm old enough to remember my parents who had a, a really old radio in the lounge and yeah. it had a really big dial. And when you turn it, it had inertia. And if you let go, it would carry on spinning. Yeah. And the, the radio receiver, the little dial would like fly to the other end and you right. turn it the other way. Yeah. And that, that also had very fine control over when you wanted to tune in an FM radio station or you you could really just like tweak it very, very finely. It wasn't like the digital controls we get on a computer now where it's like you press up or you press down or you select from a list. It's yeah. very digital and, and very restrictive. Whereas when you're doing creative things, you like to have like a pen, which is very, right. you know, very fine grain control, which is why these new iPads that have a pen are quite popular and yep. uh, the surface that has them as well. Um, so I, I think this is a great idea and I'm really, really glad that we're getting support for this. I'll, I'll be interested to see what applications make use of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Critter, I know right out of the box will use it. So that would be a perfect example for artists. Yes. Yeah. If you watch the video, you see uh, some of the people using a pen and the, and the dial itself as well, both at the same time. It looks pretty neat. But the only thing I can go back to is, you know, etch a sketch. <laughs> Just saying. But I do like I like the point you made about the tactile kind of feedback and having some physical object there to to play with and move because for artists especially that's a big deal. I mean, it it creates it almost seems to turn on a different part of your brain than the than the digital clicking of stuff. And it's almost like for writers they want that clicky keyboard that sounds like a typewriter in ways because it kind of gets their brain that tactile feedback into that zone of, of writing. So these things are really important and they're important for the future of Linux 
because you want to have the latest cutting edge technology available on Linux. You know, we don't want it just to be the, well, at least I don't want it just to be this distribution that runs on old hardware, which is how it was introduced to me two years ago. I want it to be the thing that runs on the cutting edge. And these gadgets are a part of that. The new way to interface with your computers and having support for that is so important. Yeah, I've, I've seen um, devices you can buy that plug in via USB or that are Bluetooth, which are essentially a, a box with an analog control or sliders like you get in a music studio. Yeah. Um, and you could attach those to your computer and map those to, to various buttons. And they're very popular on the Mac with people who are doing design or creative activities. Um, but I never knew that I wanted something that I could physically put on the screen and like control the user interface. I always, in my mind, it always felt like it was a device that sat outside the computer and was attached via some you know, wireless technology. I never, I never thought until I saw these videos that I would want to put it physically on the screen right, while right. I'm like doing something on the screen and dial, you know, and change, like choose options directly. It's, um, it's interesting how that, 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 that interface change has come about that I never thought I needed one until I saw it. And then, and now, now you one. know, yeah. <laughs> Is this going to be a generational thing where our kids will be moving devices all over the screens and we'll be like, where's the mouse and keyboard, Sonny? <laughs> like, that's going to be the thing, you know, Dude, that's my life already. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, uh, Katie, so this came out, uh, a while ago, KDE outlined their goals uh, for what they wanted to do for the future. So mm -hmm. why why is this important now, Ryan? Well, what I thought was interesting is we've talked about the importance and we're seeing a lot more movement in, in most distros and developers and such to do more outreach from the Linux community. And KDE released their goals, but then they went on to the community and did a Reddit AMA, which is Ask Me Anything. And this is a fantastic way of kind of getting involved with the community and also targeting a younger audience with Linux, in my opinion, because Reddit is 18 to 25 is their primary market. So you're going after a very young audience. Here's also a very technical audience as well in, in Reddit. Um, but they're going out there answering questions live that people have about their goals and what they're doing. And then I also notice within there, they're capturing ideas from the community on top of. So they're kind of honing the ideas that they came together with using the community support live to say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? And so they're kind of doing this interaction. So now in the proper open source way, everybody's kind of able to contribute, even if it's just thoughts or ideas, right? Yeah, I was watching the uh, AMA while it was happening and uh, seeing some of the replies to conversation that was going on. It was great. It was uh, in our Linux, I think, on yes. Reddit, mm -hmm. and which was a bold move because our Linux can be quite the cesspit of, uh, yeah. of people. Um, but it seemed to go pretty well. It was overall a positive experience, and you know, they got plenty of um, you know, decent feedback and good questions from you know, normals. Usually the, the, death, the death throw for somebody doing an AMA is not answering questions and actually just doing these one sentence replies like what is your thought on this yes like then they then the community just eats them alive but when they see people actually engaging and interacting with you know actual e 
paragraphs of replies where they're really thinking about somebody's question, they tend to go really well. And there's, you know, like you said, um, um, I think it was overwhelmingly positive. There were over 489 comments. Um, but Rocco, there were some asks that the Reddit community had that we captured kind of the top that we just went through of the most upvoted. What were some of those that you thought were interesting? Well, look, easier setup for uh, of a dev environment to contribute. So everybody yeah. says, no matter who we talk to, they all say the best thing you can do is to help report bugs. Um, and to have a setup where an environment, it's easier to contribute is, is a goal that everybody should have, where anybody new user or not, can contribute to the project if they want to. And that's the biggest hurdle for most people today to to contributing is they don't feel they can. Yep. You know, they don't feel they're capable. And, you know, we talked earlier about the some of the, the nightmarish bug reporting situations that we have. And anything we can do to make it easier to contribute is awesome. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's one of those things where, um, you know, you're running, you're running the software that they want you to run and uh, you maybe you want to help triage a bug like someone else has filed a bug and you want to go in and say well let's see if that really is a bug let me see if I can reproduce it oh no they're running a latest bleeding edge version of the software how do I get that how do I get that and run it without compromising my own system how can I get involved and use what you're using and use what the developer is using without making my machine an unstable unholy mess and, right. and that that I would agree with you. You need to make it easy for people to get the latest software that a developer is expecting you. Because the last thing you want is when someone files a bug for the response to be from a developer upgrade, like yep. upgrade to the latest unstable version that I've just pushed off my laptop right now. <laughs> Try that and tell me how you get on. It's like, well, this is my laptop I use for work. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna upgrade to the latest bleeding edge stuff that left your laptop half an hour ago. I want to. I want to, you know, I want to have some environment in which I can test this stuff out. And, mm -hmm. and that is a difficult thing yep. to do. Yep. And then there, the, one of the other uh, ones that was interesting to me is all of the mobile questions that were out there. So talking about Plasma Mobile, and this obviously sings to my heart directly because this is a big deal. I think getting a true Linux, you know, option out there for people to utilize that is functional. Right. I mean, there are Linux options out there you can install on your phone today, but they are kind of a mixed bag of you couldn't use it as your daily driver if you actually want to get calls and stuff regularly. Um, so uh, but they're good. They're getting better. You can see the improvements in a lot of them. And there was a lot of questions about stability and improvements and the Plasma Mobile team jumped on and were answering some questions about that, which I thought was interesting. And also the touchscreen improvements that people were asking for within KDE, which I think links to the article a little bit above, we we're talking about the dial and that type of stuff is hardware is moving to this touchy interface and the distros are going to have to adapt to that uh, with these devices coming out. A lot of like two-in-one hybrid-like devices with touch-enabled options are being sold right now. That's the thing. And so having distros that can interact with that properly is a big deal. That's a balancing act though, isn't it? Because... Mm -hmm. You know, we've. I still see people complain online now about GNOME Shell 
uh, it's a it's a mobile phone interface. Why would I want a mobile phone interface on my desktop? And it's like, right. dude, it, it to- just because it's got slightly larger than usual icons and there's a search box at the top doesn't make it a mobile phone interface. Try it on a mobile phone. You'll find out how not a mobile phone interface this right. thing is, right? So you, but you you have to balance that between the people who want something that's like an engineer's desktop mm-hmm. um, and something that is a creative's desktop and balance the requirements for both and i know other operating system vendors have tried this in the past microsoft tried with oh metro yep. and was an absolute unmitigated disaster but yep. they learned from that and uh you know we need to learn from that as well yeah absolutely i think microsoft's a perfect example of that and how difficult it really is to keep those two separated from each other um you know kd connect we're talking about gets even cooler, which is one of our favorite things, talking about pushing technology forward. They recently did a coding sprint and built some new features into what I consider one of the most innovative and very, very important application in the Linux ecosystem is KDE Connect because it kind of adds that functionality that other OSs are now pushing for heavily of the mobile integration into your desktop. And KDE Connect is really the only one I know of that's doing it where it's fully kind of functional with Android, at least out of the box. Mm. Yeah. KDE connect is a must have application. That reminds me, I haven't uh, installed. You must have. It's a must have, have, but I haven't, (laughs) I just reinstalled yesterday or the day before. So, Uh, but it is a must have thing for uh, if you want to connect to your Android phone and, the their what their improvements or some of the features they've worked on is the SMS to include full conversation views, and that and full contact list too. Because as good as KDE Connect can be, or as good as any of these applications can be, once you, it's funny. We we use KDE Connect and we say how great it is, and then when they come out with new features to give us a full listing of the full conversation, and we say, wow, this is even greater, you know. Yeah. But right now, in this version of KDE Connect we're using, we're not really missing it. We're saying how great it is to be used right now. So all of these new features are are making it so much better. And uh, you don't really miss the features until you see what's coming. And then you say, oh, yeah, I want that right now. That's why I'm a distro yeah. hopper, because I want the new features, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, they, this. what I love about this is the idea of getting all these developers together in a room and knocking stuff out. And as somebody who manages a team that has developers on them in my real life job, um, when you get people together in a room, it's amazing. Even though all this technology to sync us across the world is there and it's really neat, when you're sitting in a room with people, it's a whole different experience. And they were able to knock out some really cool stuff, uh, including better Nautilus support, lots of bug fixes, all of this within this couple day sprint in Barcelona. And I think that's just, it's cool to see the teams coming together. It's cool to look at the pictures, to see all of the brilliant minds that put this stuff together and work on this. And I just, yeah, KD Connect's amazing, man. I, I, I agree on the uh, on the whole getting people together. Uh, we're actually doing it this week. Uh, starting tomorrow, uh, Canonical are hosting a GNOME software sprint, uh, design mm-hmm. sprint this week, uh, where we're getting together designers and developers who work on GNOME software in order to give it a visual refresh. So, oh, yeah. Okay. And we all yeah we all talk to each other on online on IRC and Slack and whatever uh, all the time. But actually getting everyone in the same place, we're even flying one guy from uh, New Zealand 
uh, one of the developers and uh, most of them live in the work in the UK. So they're, they're nearby. So yeah, the KDE guys getting uh, some funding to be able to get everyone in the same place and uh, work on stuff together is, uh, is really great. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ryan, you have uh, multiple monitors. I do. So do yes. you ever like dream of having different wallpaper on each monitor? <laughs> No, because I use XFC and can do that out of the box. Whatever, dude. Can you really? <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. Well, for us us users that use GNOME and other desktop environments, um, you can use or try out Hydra Paper, which is an app that tries to go about it a different way. So what it does is it kind of tricks it. It stretches wallpaper to make mm -hmm. it look like there's two different wallpapers on your desktop. So it's a GTK based app as a, and it's a flat pack that supports GNOME. So results may vary according to the article. Now I tried it. I tried to try it. I should say I downloaded it, mm -hmm. installed it. Worked uh, brilliantly. Not quite. Okay. So <laughs> when I, when I went to use it, because of the way I have my system set up, I don't have any of my folders in my home folder. They're all symbolic links to yeah. another drive. Well, it doesn't, I guess, well, maybe Alan, you can maybe answer this better because it's a, a flat pack and containerized or, or is of some kind that it doesn't recognize symbolic links by default for security. I, I, I've, I've not tried it, but it, it's entirely plausible that the, there's some sandboxing that's restricting what it's got access to. Yeah, that's entirely plausible. Well, it wouldn't recognize uh, the symbolic links and it also would not see the media folder in my root folder to show it the other drives. So I couldn't actually test it out. So all I seen was blank. I wasn't going to copy pictures over just to check it out, but uh, all I seen were blank items, but it seems like a neat idea if that's what you really want. I don't need I'd, different wallpaper, but I'd be interested to see how this performs um, mm. because I've got three 1080p screens here and um, technically those, the, the two are above my laptop. So I have a laptop here and then two either side above, and there's a gap in the middle. Um, and how it would arrange the images in order to like make that all line up. But also it makes me think that's going to end up with an image, which is double 1080 that way, and uh, sorry, double 1920 that way, and double 1080 that way with big black holes here and here <laughs> where knows? I don't have displays. And it makes me think, that's going to have to keep a gigantic image in memory all the time. Stitching it together, yeah. Sti having it stitched together. Um, yeah, it's an interesting yeah. idea. What I like, Rocco, and you mentioned this to me, uh, is the innovative way that they're trying to go about fixing the problem. Yeah, so right. maybe it won't work. But right. it's a really, or maybe it does. I don't yeah, know. I would it's never have really thought to do it that intricate way. intricate thought, right? Yeah, yeah, it is, totally. Yeah, it's very clever. Yeah. Yep, I do like the innovation of it. Because, you know, there's you see a problem. You know, you well, okay. So if somebody wants, like that person obviously wanted, you know, different wallpapers on each monitor. So they look at the problem and they say, okay, well, this can't exactly be done in the normal way. So let's see how we can go about it to get it done. And they come up with some way. So nobody does it better than the Linux community. They, they, it's so funny. Sometimes in the videos I'll do, you know, somebody will be like, yeah, well, you can't do this in Linux. And it's just a quick Google search. And sometimes it's this ridiculous process to get that thing that they said you can't do in Linux done or whatever it would be. Like maybe it's a game or something that you, you'd have to go through all these wine settings and stuff. But the reality is people out there have spent the time to, 
to anytime you challenge them, like the Commodore situation, they will figure out a way to make it happen one way or another. And that's what I absolutely love. So, Ryan. Yeah. Veronics. One of the one of the best websites out there for Linux information, gaming, benchmarks, and everything else is it they're gonna have a birthday bash, dude. I know. Fourteenth birthday coming up. Wow. Michael's done an incredible job with this site. He's been a friend of our show for a long time. He's come on Destination Linux in episode 40 and just an incredible individual who does amazing work in the Linux world. But how are they going to celebrate this 14-year bash, Rocco? How they, I don't know. How are they going to celebrate it? The only way Pharonix <laughs> knows how, man. They're going to take all these 12-way GPUs and benchmark them all against each other to give us the fastest GPU out there on the market in true Pharonix style, man. That wow. is awesome, dude. Well, like I said, there there's no place you're going to go other than Pharonix if you want to benchmark on any any gaming uh, item out there, whether it be GPUs or uh, just systems themselves. And he has Michael Larabelle uh, put together that whole benchmarking system and just an awesome mind, dude. I mean, we talked to him and it was like, we talked to him for how long? And, you know, after, yeah. after you're done, you're like heads exploding. Cause he's so technical. It's so, got so much information. It's like, wow. Like how, how could one person have all of that? And, and it, yeah. and it helps so much in the community to have somebody who has access to this much equipment to mm-hmm. do what he does. And specifically, this week when I was doing all the moves of my system from Intel to AMD and the Vega 56 I got, there were so many situations where I didn't know which is the right driver to use all of this, that Pharonix had the information as well as the benchmark differences between the drivers and everything else that I could reference and able to find the solution because, you know, sometimes forums are a mixed bag. But when you see something on Pharonix, you know this dude has tested it through and through and the results of it. So to me, they're just an amazing gem in the Linux community for Onyx. I, I certainly find it interesting. Uh, like his, his benchmarks get cited. Like when he runs like a multi-way, like you know, eight system or eight distro benchmark and uh, you know, these multi-page articles and people cite him as, ah, oh, this thing's a bit slower or 5% faster, or yep. you shouldn't use that option or you should try this kernel or something, and they cite him as as you know the leading authority on this benchmark stuff. And you have to click through, you have to see you know the graphs. <laughs> but I, I always find myself looking at the graph and thinking, right, should I be bigger or should, should my graph be bigger or smaller? Hang on. I need to go and have a look again. And I have to check every single one where it says less is better or more is better. Like, okay. Yeah. I know. I know. So yeah, it's, he's very technical and I, and uh, yeah, I'm in awe of the amount of uh, benchmarking work he does. It's amazing. Yep. Absolutely. Well, if you want to check him out, pharonix.com and you can also support him over there, which will give you a few better options uh, viewing the website. But uh, check it out, veronix.com. Yep. All right, Ryan, uh, you're going to self next week. Yeah. Yep. And are you going to take a, uh, a a girly camera with you? <laughs> I'm going to, I don't know what to take a red, camera, but I'm going to be taking a camera uh, with me and a, a microphone that you plug in. But uh, what I won't have is super fancy equipment. You know, it'll just be a, a simple iPhone and a microphone to maybe capture some moments there. And then probably hijacking a lot of Noah's equipment from, um, 
from his show to uh, do anything else that's important. But if you're involved in the really high tech YouTube community, um, some of these individuals who are have millions of subscribers and they basically use the latest and greatest technology. One of the pieces of equipment they use is called a red camera and red makes these cameras. They are cinema quality cameras. They've been used in movies from Disney movies, Deadpool, Gatsby, Pirates of the Caribbean, Transformers. Uh, I believe they're helium based sensors that they use uh, within these cameras. Super, super high tech, beautiful footage. Super, super high prices as well. Yes. The lowest camera is $12,000. Yeah. So going up to like, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Is that so, even with a lens? Is that just, probably the camera? That's just the body? Isn't that's it? it. Yeah. That's all you get. Um, so Popey will probably have two by the time this is done filming, yeah, right. but for the rest of us mortals, uh, we uh, may not get one because uh, I don't think we're anywhere near. But why that are we movie. talking about this, Ryan? Why are we talking about red cameras? This again is to me was so important when I saw this because it's the same thing with the Microsoft dial and other things. When you talk about, you know, one of my big pushes has been Linux is for the latest tech and kind of move away from the message about the old stuff. That's great, but that shouldn't be the overall theme in Linux, in my opinion. Having a professional cinema company within Linux and them writing a driver for their camera to work with Linux is a huge step in the right direction, in my opinion, for pushing the limits of Linux. This is the greatest, some of the greatest cameras you can get within Linux. This is what professionals are going to use. Now there's a driver that's going to be available for Linux. And guess what this is going to create is now a lot of the video editors and professional editors are going to be like, well, now we need to probably write our software in Linux to work with it as well. So now you're getting this whole new ecosystem of users coming into the Linux platform. And it's another thing if somebody wanted to move to Linux and they have this equipment, now they can instead of dual booting or something like that. So that's why I think it's a huge deal. Well, I think it's a good thing. Uh, I don't know if that will accomplish what you're, what you're talking about, but um, cause that's a, that's a long-term goal um, mm-hmm. to see a, a major company do a Linux driver and then automatically say, other companies will follow suit. Hopefully that happens. But um, yeah, I think it's awesome that the, they're actually going to uh, create a Linux driver for their their cameras. I mean, finally, I just put it on a credit card and I'm going to have a red yeah. camera at Linux Fest. You know, I mean, just imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing the dodgy shaky cam experience <laughs> filmed in 8K. That's going to be great. <laughs> Oh, it'll be qu- top-notch quality. <laughs> of course it will. I'll yeah. film in uh, portrait mode on the $12,000 camera. <clears throat> All right. So, um, Ryan, I know you've been busy uh, with real yeah. life and preparing to go to self, but uh, yeah. what have you been playing this week? There is only one game that's going to be what I've been playing for a while until the match happens. <laughs> what and, match and, are we talking about? Well, I'm talking about uh, the the podcaster that shall not be named that may or may not contribute some kind of stuff to Mate or whatever. Uh, you know. <laughs> that, that individual has challenged me to ballistic overkill, and I am training. I am in like Rocky level <laughs> Olympic training on ballistic overkill to take him out. I mean, I am going to no scope this new <laughs> wimpy does not know what's coming for him, man. So ballistic overkill all the way. Alan, are you a fan? 
I I do like the game. I'm terrible at it. I am awful. And uh, my son, who usually sits behind me playing games, but is locked out of the room while we do this, uh, he plays uh, Blisco the Kill. And uh, yeah, he likes to taunt me immediately after shooting me. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's, Gosh, uh, that he's, reminds me of somebody. Huh. He's he's learning all the lingo to uh, to make sure he you know fits in with everyone else when he's uh, when he's taking people out. So he's using that on me. Yeah. Nice. Well, that's a very interesting experience you have there because I was playing Ballistic Overkill with Rocco, who everybody says is so nice and so peaceful, and he's just got this zen about him until you get him into a first person shooter. And then the trash talking begins <laughs> and it does not end, man. It is like nonstop trash talking. Even when he's not even on my screen, like he's, he's over there fighting somebody else. He's still trash talking. Like, where are you hiding, Ryan? Where are you hiding? Oh, you're wait, scared. Wait. Why don't you come get me, Ryan? Come on. What are you scared? He killed like, me one time, right? And he's like, oh, see, see, there you go. The next time I come around, he's hiding in a corner behind the doorway, like just sitting there. I'm sniping. Way back this of, is skill. Yeah, he's sniping. So how, how many hours have you clocked up in Ballistic Overkill? Oh, my God. I don't know the hours. I haven't looked lately. But I just, I, okay. I just uh, so, got it. Just so you know, Wimpy is currently on 6.9 hours, according to his Steam profile. Oh, he's so going down. Yeah. Yeah. I've got 13 hours in Ballistic Overkill. Uh, so I'd like to join and maybe spectate while you kill him. That'd be great. No, I think we should have a twos. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I let's like have a cross-Atlantic. Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Stream it live on YouTube. <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, we'll run around holding cups of tea with our pinky out while we're while we're shooting you that'd be great so it says in my steam profile i've played 14 hours so okay there you go that's more than both of us yeah you're going down wimpy you're going down (laughs) all right uh besides the uh challenge that we have uh yes speaking of the podcaster that shall not be named um yeah wimpy put out a call for testing for track mania nations forever as a snap app so what do you think alan so this came about because uh martin and i went to um ubicon paris uh last year we went to a um, a convention for ubuntu nerds to hang out and uh, (laughs) uh learn about all kinds of stuff and they had a gaming room and in this game room, there's a whole bunch of PCs with Steam running, and you could just wander in, uh, or you could leave your kids in there while you go and do something else, and they could sit and play games. And one of the games they had running was this Trackmania Nations Forever, which I'd never heard of, uh, and is apparently a Windows game, and it's available through Play on Linux. Yeah. Um, but we wanted to make it like super easy to get hold of and install. So last week, uh, we went through and worked on a snap for Trackmania Nations forever i think it's called mm-hmm. um and so you just do uh snap install tm nation forever or something the details are in the 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 link in the show notes i imagine yep um and it downloads and sets up the development version of wine and it will go and get the necessary bits and pieces to install Trackmania inside the snap so it's all isolated so if you've currently got a really cool working wine setup it won't touch that it won't interfere with that it'll keep it all nicely sandboxed inside the snap and uh, it'll add an icon for your desk on your desktop and it will set up all the necessary wine stuff so you can basically just install it run it 
go. It's uh, it's pretty awesome. And it's a good fun game as well. Yeah. Yep. Well, me and Ryan actually tried it, and yeah. uh, we installed it, and I, it was awesome to think about the implications of this. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously not every game is going to be snapped up, but can you imagine mm. the implications of being able to snap up a whole game install it on a linux system and not have it interfere with anything else awesome that's that's the goal and we've also made a snap of uh steam for windows so you can snap install steam for windows and you end up again with a nicely sandboxed version of wine you get steam in there and then you can install not everything works as we know not everything works under wine but it means that it doesn't interfere with anything else um the steam for windows one was just a bit of fun uh, to see if it would work. Turns out it does work, and you can install some games. Some of them work, some of them don't. Um, but, yeah, it was it was quite an interesting challenge, uh, a nice, easy way. Like, you think of normal people who aren't distro hoppers, who aren't dual booters, Whoa. who are on their Linux system. I know they exist. Squatch. Uh, <laughs> and they want to they wanna run a game. This might be an option for them to play some of those games that are maybe in their Steam library, but they're locked out of because there's not a version available for Linux. Yeah. So just make trying to make we're just trying to make it easier for people to get hold of uh, software and use the software that they want to play with. Yep. I love it. I absolutely love it. And we had it installed. I think um, Martin basically text you. And within 10 minutes, we were like, well, let's go try it and play it because we were doing the show notes. And he said, hey, I did this thing. We're playing with this thing and we had it up and running immediately. And if you've ever played with wine, you know, nothing is nothing's immediate. immediate. No. Um, so that's quite an amazing accomplishment by itself. And we were playing and let me tell you, uh, we were incredible at the game. Uh, just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I have to say uh, we were pretty. No, we weren't. <laughs> It's a cracking game. It's I love I love the fact that like you drive around a track as fast as possible, and there's just that that feeling where you have to try again and try again and try again and just like shave off a few tenths of a second or a few hundredths of a second to get, um, uh, you know, maybe a, a higher medal or just to get a faster track time I, than your last. I don't time think spring. we finished the race, did we? Ryan? Not a single one. <laughs> wow, you guys are terrible. Yeah, uh, we did the online thing, and they had all these jumps you had to keep hitting and. Somehow everybody else could hit the right jumps and have enough speed. And I'm like, what are we doing wrong here? Mm. Rocco's like, I got past the checkpoint and we celebrated and quit. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you need to take the basic levels. Yeah. 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 yeah maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't do this ballistic overkill thing. <laughs> we probably shouldn't have clicked expert. In our heads, we were. Um, All right. What else we got, Ryan? Well, game devs give feedback on Linux. So a little less good news, maybe, depending on how you look at it. But I thought this was interesting to bring up because there are a lot of game developers who are trying out the whole idea of porting their games into Linux. And, you know, there are some big games out here, more, I struggle to say AAA titles, maybe AA titles, but things like Immortal Redneck, Soma, Day of Infamy, Euro Truck Simulator, all of these different developers. And an individual at backtogaming.com basically did an interview with them and said, hey, you went and did this Linux move, ported your game to Linux recently. How's it working out? And the feedback is not exactly what we would hope for. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a sobering thing to see uh, them give the feedback that they did because like 
Okay, so Frictional Games says, in the past three months, the Linux sales for our games have been less than 2% of all PC sales. Yeah. That, yeah. You know? That's a, that's a rough number to look at when you're hoping and, you know, we just talked about the whole Snap thing and bringing more games to uh, Linux, and then you see this kind of thing, and it's like, hmm. Such well, that shame. was the bigger number of all of them, actually, because most of them were like 0.2, 0.67% of their game sales and all of that. This is probably part of a problem with the dual booting idea that's out there in the community, because I'm wondering how many people just buy the game because they want it and play it in Windows because they just game in Windows and don't play it in Linux. Therefore, all of the stats are going to be that they bought and played it in Windows. I don't think it's um, news to anyone that there aren't actually that many Linux users out there. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> What do you mean? Everybody uses Linux. It's just raw numbers, really. You know, there's... Yeah. And if, if someone's buying a Dell XPS that comes with Linux, they're probably not using it for gaming because it's it's got an Intel integrated GPU. If they do any gaming, it's probably some of the casual stuff or you know, puzzle-type games, but not like the high-end like AAA titles because it basically can't. Right. So, so the, the people who are using Linux are often enthusiasts or not in inverted commas, gamers, right? Mm. I hate saying that because anyone who plays any kind of game is a gamer. Um, so, and I, and I don't think it's any, any surprise to anyone that the Linux makes up a small proportion of the market. Um, sure. It's not very nice to have it written out in black and white, you know? <laughs> it's no, like, it's not. Especially when like someone says, well, will we do this in future? Maybe not, maybe. Um, well, that's yeah. one of the questions they asked is, do you still plan to support Linux in your future games? And it was like a mixed, you know, between which one you pick out. But like Frictional Games, they said, we'll, con we'll try to continue supporting Linux as we want to support our different communities. Um, Crema Games said, most likely not. So the flip side, the flip side of the whole thing is if like you've got this array of people who are using Linux, if they don't have a large selection of games, if you are available on Linux, you stand out more than all the others because mm -hmm. the selection is so small. So maybe Linux is a good target if you're trying to stand out from, from the crowd. The same, you know, we've seen people who are um, targeting some of the consoles because Steam is just flooded with games and it's very difficult to stand out on Steam. And so they're looking for other avenues, other, other channels through which they can deliver their games. Um, because Steam is just flooded with like so many games, so maybe maybe Linux is a place you can target uh, uh, because there isn't a lot of other good stuff out there. Right. Well, I mean, I think at a point the idea is that eventually you could port your game to Linux, and it would be this big issue where you need you know feral level and genius to figure out how to get it all encoded over. And Vulkan portions of Vulkan are a part of that and hopes to make things simpler to porting the games over to Linux. I'm a huge fan of Vulkan and I've seen it, you know, one of the first things I did within Linux was get Doom working in Vulkan within Wine and pumping out the same frames I was getting on Windows, not using Vulkan. So but, Vulkan is incredible. But the real problem for, for Linux games really is not it's not necessarily, can I get it to run on Linux? Like, 
Unity for ages has been able to spit out Linux sure. binaries. Uh, Unreal can do the same. Godot or Godot or whatever you want, however you want to pronounce it, can spit out Linux games. There are all of these game engines that can spit out Linux binaries, but it's not always that that's the blocker. There can be middleware that they use, or like if you look at something mm. like Fortnite, the reason that doesn't run under Wine is because there's a piece of middleware that Fortnite use for their anti-cheat system, BattleEye. And that hooks into Windows system calls that Wine doesn't emulate. No, and so that's interesting. Th- like there are some things that they that game developers are using, usually stuff that they've licensed from somebody else that isn't available on Linux. And it doesn't matter that they're using Unity, even if you can export to Linux from Unity, if they're using some other component in there, like whether it's a, um, a sound system or a video playback engine inside their game for the full motion video, whatever it is, if that thing is not cross uh, platform, then the game is not cross platform. Um, and that, that's, that's a bigger problem. I think yeah, it is because- obnoxious to think about the fact that you can run Fortnite now, literally on your phone, iOS, Android, you can play Fortnite, but you cannot play it in Linux. Mm. Yep. I mean, it's a completely different code base. Totally. It's like but. it's a different, like in the same way that PUBG is different on iOS and Android mm-hmm. than it is on. Um, but it's still, yeah, it is still quite galling to see that you can run it on a mobile, but not on your desktop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you were talking about the underlying things to it and a game that I used to love to play and still uh, do every once in a while is Call of Duty World at War. And that's something that you can install in Wine. But the anti-cheat system in it, Punkbuster, has issues uh, running the system, uh, things that you need to run it in the background. And that's what keeps it from playing, for me anyway, in Wine. So, yeah, there's a lot of back-end things that go into it that can stop it, not just the game itself. So um, Punkbuster specifically has been used by a lot of games in the past. And people have tried emulating it and doing like giving you the ability to make the keys that are necessary for... So it might be that that's now possible um, mm. because people have worked around some of those issues. But some of these other things that are well embedded in the game are yeah. more, of a, more of a problem. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Ryan, you like nostalgic games. I love them. I'm a, I'm a true gamer, therefore I like all kinds of games. Yeah, true gamer. So yeah. glad Zeb is not here for this because he would be rolling his eyes right now. You mean a like true me? Game- how dare you, Rocco? How, how how dare you? You call yourself a gamer and you don't like the old pixel graphics? No. Okay. Well, listen, then you may not want to tune out. You won't want to tune out for this next article because Sega is showing Linux some more love. Sega's been showing Linux a lot of love lately, and they're showing us some more love by giving us the entire collection of their Mega Drive and General Classic, uh, Genesis Classic games out there, which I don't know if you had a Genesis, but... That was a really cool console back in the day, competing with the Super Nintendo, I believe, at the time. So uh, you get 50 titles here, and some of these games, like Fantasy Star, are huge. Oh, they sound great. Oh, um, Rocco. (laughs) They are great. Come on, you didn't play Golden Axe or Sonic the Hedgehog? Uh, I was never a big Sonic fan, to be honest with you. Oh, my gosh. But what happened to your I, I was a I, I had a Super Nintendo. I didn't have a Sega, so maybe that's yeah, the problem. Yeah, I'm I'm a Nintendo fanboy as well. I didn't have a Sega. Yeah, no, Sega was mm. the nah. They were the other guys. <laughs> they were the other guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about them. That was my brother. He was all Nintendo, but uh, we had friends that had the Sega and stuff. There were a lot of fun games out there, 
And if you want to go back and play some of those games, maybe because you didn't have a Sega and you're a Nintendo fanboy, you can go out there and play them now. Um, you get 50 games for a mere 29 bucks, and it runs on Linux. So 29.99 for pixelated games. Sure, I'm right on that. 50 pixelated games. Even better. <laughs> well, one thing I did notice about this, it does say it has Linux support, but when you go to the Steam page, it only shows a uh, Windows icon. So I'm not sure exactly what's going on with that, but... Yeah, Gaming on Linux mentions it. Well, people mention it in the comments on the Gaming on Linux article. So I just think that hasn't switched yet. But uh, I've seen screenshots of people playing it in Linux. So I think you just download it there. But I haven't spent the $29 as much as I talk about it. It's the Sega Mega Drive and Genesis Classics. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because in the Steam store page, I see a Windows icon, an Apple icon, and a Steam um, box icon, which is usually the... The Linux icon, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, this is, I checked the other day, so I didn't, uh, maybe they've updated it now since this article Could came be. out. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, speaking of nostalgia, the Atari VCS pre orders have launched Rocco finally. How many times are we going to cover the Atari VCS pre orders? Like, cool. like they're gonna, now they, no, they're not gonna, they're gonna, and the, no, well, now they have, they've oh, officially launched it. You can go out there right now and spend your hard earned money and get yourself in a new Atari system, which runs Linux, by the way. It runs Linux out of the box. Ubuntu OS distro uh, that they're using here. And it has a Radeon processor, AMD Radeon processor and GPU. Um, we don't know exactly which one, but don't, don't worry because it's just 199 bucks. So why don't do you worry? I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. Yeah, famous last words. <laughs> uh, but you can not only get all of the Atari Classic games, but you do not get a controller with this. You can use third-party controllers with it because of Bluetooth stuff and support, but you do not get that cool Classic controller, which is the only thing I think you liked about it. Yep. You have to pay $50 more for that or something, $25, $50. The, more. I, I would like to say the only thing that worries me about this, and it's not the only thing because there are so many things that I'm concerned about this thing. <laughs> um one, obviously, it's a crowdfunder, so there's the possibility it might not deliver. Mm-hmm. Go and have a look at the Sinclair uh, uh, Vega. Um, uh, that was, that was terrible. For, for an example of a complete disaster of a campaign two years later, and they still haven't delivered. Um, so, that yeah, that's my first worry. Is And I'm a, I'm a Kickstarter and Indiegogo like user. I have backed... I don't know, 80 things on Kickstarter and Indiegogo. So, you know, and most of them were delivered. So that is a bit of a worry. The price is interesting. $300 plus shipping for the early bird collector's edition ones. $300. Okay. $200 for the early bird Onyx edition. That still seems like a lot of money. How much is that in squids? Oh, it's about the same um, <laughs> because they add tax. So you know, it's about the same. Uh, but this doesn't even ship until July next year. So that's the other thing is this thing is nowhere near ready. Like we're talking over a year away. Mm-hmm. But also the other thing is once you get it, um, these things are using Bluetooth and wireless controllers. The latency, the lag on those is not great. Like if you're playing a, a real twitchy game, some of these older games, then you know when you're trying to jump over the crocodile or whatever it is you're doing, you've got to get that timing absolutely right. And with the Bluetooth and wireless controllers, 
You're making me so lag. proud right now. I mean, just <laughs> hearing you talk about the lag in a controller is just, you are a true gamer, my friend. I love it. I love it. So, yeah. But they've raised two and a half million dollars nearly. That's mad. I think all their marketing has worked, I think. Yep. If nothing else, the marketing has worked. Because there's nothing Atari about this other than logo. Like, it's... Well, the look, yeah, it's just kind of like the classic look on there. But the two and a half million dollars, that means when I looked at it earlier in the week, they'd only raised just above the hundred thousand. So have they really gotten that much? Yep. That many half million. Oh, my God. Nearly 10,000 backers. So it's two thousand four hundred and twenty five percent over their goal. Mm. That's insane. So uh, Atari definitely has a lot of people who were looking for this kind of console. And what would be interesting to me about this is with the full Linux distribution capabilities and things, you could obviously turn this into a media playing box as well. So, you know, you could stream your Netflix and everything else, kind of like a Plex or other uh, style software on it. But what is their privacy kind of policy? Because if you've read the privacy policies and things of your, you know, Roku's and stuff, it'll probably make you vomit a little bit. So it would be interesting to see what they're doing um, here in, in, in that regard to see if this would be maybe a more privacy centric way of streaming your content and playing your games and that type of thing. Maybe. We shall see. Yep. Only time will tell. And speaking of time, I think we're out of it. I know. Alan, time has flown by. Uh, talking to you is awesome. Thank you oh, so thank much. You. It's lovely coming on. Thank you for inviting me. Well, um, Michael and Zeb uh, are gone. Missed they missed out on talking to you. Michael will be gone next week, and Ryan will be gone next week to self. So yep. hopefully we will. We are trying to work the details out now where maybe we will live stream from self for next week's episode. And maybe get to talk to other people. Hopefully Noah comes on. Yes. uh, We get to talk to him as well. But um, you got to record everything down there, Ryan, so you can. uh, Oh, I'm going to be like a (laughs) 15-year-old with my Instagram account and my phone getting in Noah's face. Like, Noah, is it really you? Yeah, I'm going to do the whole thing, man. Yeah, I'm going to look like a complete fanboy out there. All right. So we want to thank each and every one of you for listening and watching however way you do it. We appreciate all that you do. Yep. And we appreciate all the continued support of our patrons and those who support the channel by doing things like just leaving a rating in your podcast or, you know, in any of the services that you use to watch it, letting us know you enjoyed the episode, leaving comments, sending us awesome emails like the one we heard above all of that stuff really does help and make a difference and we read every single one of them and sometimes live on the show so there you go all right everybody have a great week and remember the journey itself is just as important as the destination thanks everyone thank you for listening to another episode of destination linux podcast Always ready, born ready. There's four watching right now. Yeah, one's me. (laughs) And one's me. So there's two watching right now.
don't like, okay don't like when you say break just stop okay. yeah like because it's harder to cut it out if you sorry about that. that's all right it's perfectly fine i'm just saying i'm so sorry <laughs> killing me don't hit me making more editing for me <laughs> now it just makes, me again i think you <laughs> it, it makes it harder for me to make it look like it's a normal transition that's all so if I, like, change my shirt or something. <laughs> yeah, it's like, all of a sudden, Poopy's outside, you know? Like, he's, he's talking to us outside. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> uh, I need you to shut down the perfectionism, and let's just move on. She's so long to do the littlest things. How do you type? Whatever. Man, I miss Michael. See, good thing I'm around. Man, what would you do without me? I don't know. No, I could have reminded you if I was thinking about that stuff. Great job. <clears throat> You're welcome. Uh, Glad I got back up on here. We're on we're on the ball. What does Zeb do with uh does he link the link somewhere else to when we have a producer around? He um he's the producer, I don't know. <laughs> we need producer notes. I think he uh where are you, Zeb? We need Zeb come back <laughs> we're sorry <laughs> we're so so sorry so just highlight it yeah and then you oh, click the link thingy oh my the link thingy yeah, that. is that the technical term Rocco that's so embarrassing <laughs> then you're gonna have to do the show alone forever <laughs> so what are you talking about <laughs> Play online. This game allows players to represent themselves in the game using pictures. Do you want to allow these images to be displayed? No. I'm hideous. Uh, yeah. Sorry, just getting messages from my daughter on Facebook. Can I, please can I have the Domino's cookies in the fridge? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's important stuff I'm doing. <laughs> yes, I know it is. <laughs> I love it. Uh could have done the whole oh my gosh we both live in the uk you must know each other yeah we do <laughs> <laughs> well everybody in the uk's neighbors i mean yeah exactly yeah totally totally in the united states when we picture the uk it's like 150 people max so we figure you yeah that's about right yeah yeah totally. <laughs> any country where the national currency is squids right squids yeah okay. squids it is, right? Squids? Yep. yep. Whatever you say. <laughs> Squiddles. <clears throat> At least our uh, notes are different sizes, so you can tell one from another. But that's fine. That's fine. Wow. <laughs> hey, don't make oh, fun no, of right. our beautiful green money. Which one's the green one? Oh, that's right. All of All them. All of them. <laughs> 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 oh, sorry. You're all across the world, even in the UK. All 100 no, of you. We don't have Twitch. <laughs> sure. I don't think the Queen would allow it. <laughs> the Queen. <laughs> yeah, how did the royal wedding go for... I have no idea. I was outside cutting the grass. <laughs> you want to get someone from the UK mad, ask them about the royal wedding. It always just... Do not care. <laughs> Two people I've never met and never will meet get married. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a lot of money on the line. Talking like 50 or so squid. Wow, that's a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> it right. seems like a great thing, but it can be a pain. We're going to move on. 
because we don't have all day. Yeah. Exactly. I gotta practice ballistic overkill. Mm-hmm. You totally do. <laughs> okay. We don't right. use his name on this show. He is referred to as the podcaster that should be not be named. Brilliant. <laughs> I approve. I fully approve. After he told me to RTFM, we don't say his name anymore on the show. Right. I you like my cup this week, Rocco. Nice and pink. Really, dude? Yeah. Well, last week it was Shoe Goddess. This week it's... You can tell who buys the cups in my family, my wife. Is that really pink? Well, it's kind of like a purpley, metallic mm. purple. No, they'd be like, it's country morning blueberry. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Rocco. Nailed it. <laughs>